Hi there, you're listening to Rune Landers. I'm Adam, your host and friendly neighborhood dungeon master. Now before we begin, a bit of a content warning. Rune Landers contains adult content, about as much as your average late evening premium cable series. Now this is things like rough language and frank descriptions of terrifying situations and adult topics such as sex work and drug use. We don't beat these topics over the head, and they're not in every episode, but they do exist as part of the setting, so we don't shy away from them when they come up either. Use your judgment. If that sort of thing isn't your cup of tea, this probably isn't the podcast for you. Now, dig, if you will, this fractured fable of a felonious fellowship's forays through the suave salons and sinister saloons of Byzantine Bailey Mina, the city of steel and steam. Thrilled to the adventures of this criminal cadre as they climb to notoriety and beyond. Will they remain merely outlaws, or will they become true villains? Well, I could tell you, but it's more fun if we show you. We're the Runelanders. This is Rapscallion, so get ready, runatics, and let's roll. It is five years ago, about six months after Stitch was nursed to health by the medics at Thrasher's. It was a hefty bill, Arabet, but you worked it off fairly quickly. There was a couple of things that Thrasher needed lifted from certain guild offices, which uh, he didn't really want to handle himself for the paperwork and the complication of it. Of course. But it was a job that you worked off pretty quickly. Now, Stitch, you've been fairly new to Bailey Mina, and your common is good, but this Bailey Mina brogue that they have, it's its strange to your ear for a while. It takes you a little bit to get used to it. However, this human who's taking you in seems to be pretty decent about things. And oddly, although he seems to be some kind of burglar, seems to be doing this for altruistic reasons. So, it is early one morning, and you've both woken up and are uh, reading the paper and listening to music and doing whatever it is you do of a morning. Uh, and by morning, I mean like 11.30 a.m. And there in the broadsheet is the news that some very she-she Bailey Mina jewelers have commissioned a piece such as has never been manufactured before. It's uh, supposed to bring in like 250 new jobs and uh, quite a bit of money into the Bailey Mina economy. Stitchy, take a look at this. Ah, you know, I have trouble reading this. Is there pictures? Yeah, there's a picture, all right. Okay, fine, fine. Let's see. Look at the size of that rock. What? what What? Indeed, it is a drawing of a necklace with big thumbnail sized gems built to scale to a Dyrish woman. The Baroness of Dyre, in fact. Second only to the proconsul. She is the uh, leading lady of style on that particular island and well-known throughout imperial society. I'm not one to judge the size of rocks, but I think that rock is way too big for the lady that's getting it. I'm pretty sure she could uh, do with something a little smaller. Or modest, right? After all, vanity is not a virtue. But it'll be a virtue in my pocket. What do you think about that, Stitch? This might be just the sort of job you need. Like, your main thing a few months ago with Draz was about money, right, Stitch? Oh, it was over money as well as many other things, yes. If it's as big a payoff as he says it's going to be, you, uh, your turnaround here in Bailey Mina could be brief indeed. I'm not saying that... Well, bet. I'm, I'm not saying anything offhand. You know me very well, but uh, I'm wondering, you know, we could retire early. I think this could be our ticket right off the streets, my friend. We could pay off Thrasher. We could pay off a few other little bills that we've 
taken care of and we wouldn't have to worry all we have to do is find a fence afterwards and i mean as long as nobody sees our faces hears our names or smells anything about us we could hold on to the gem until we find someone who's willing to pay the proper price Susanna smoke could move that for you no problem and she likes cognac and roses and uh long nights by the fire but that's another thing isn't it bet you handsome bastard yes I have a fence in mine, Stitch. I have a fence in mine. Oh, then I think we're both on the same page. Let's read a little deeper here. Let's see. Dyerish. Uh, oh, sorry, Bet. I'm able to read every other word. So it's yeah, it's not really that important, Stitchy, but some duchess is getting this uh this this necklace, I guess. And she's from Dyer. So you know, you know how they say about Dyer. That they're fat? Everything's bigger. <laughs> oh, yes, yes, yes. Oh, everything's bigger, yes. Including our payout on this one. Like, I mean, scaling this thing out as projected on a, like, drawn on the, it's drawn on a woman's bust, right? It's not vulgar or anything. It's not a pity drawing. It's just like decolletage with, you know, a, 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 a beautiful regal woman's face. You assume as you puzzle your way through all the glyphs and letters on the page, let's face it, you, uh, you can read, you do read, but you'd rather, you know, be chasing girls or drinking or picking pockets or something fun, right? What a reading. But occasionally you'll find a good job like this. But looking through this, this is a drawing of the finished necklace as it would look upon the Baroness herself, which means that the main jewels in this piece are all easily about the size of hurly balls. There are rather more than a dozen of them. Stitch? For, for reference of listeners, what is the size of a hurly ball? A hurling ball is a, a slightly smaller than a baseball and slightly bigger than a tennis ball. It's used in hurling, a local sport in Bailey Mina. It's uh, popular. I won't get into the rules right now, but there are leagues and whatnot like that. Uh, you know, kids start up scratch games in the fields and spare lots and stuff like that. It's a lot of fun. Stitchy, I think we've got a job. I'm, I'm right with you there, but uh, let's look into this further. Well... Gentlemen, it turns out that the firm that's handling this build is out on the North Shore, and you two are firmly in Old Bailey Mina. It will take you most of the day to get out there on foot. But, as it happens, Bet, you've managed to uh, squirrel away a few coins that you haven't spent on girls and dinner and drinking and showing off. And, uh, you know, so you have enough for two buster tickets out there. Oh, we're going to ride in style, Stitch. You mean on one of those things, those contraptions? You know what I think about those things, right? Well, they, they go really fast across the city? The trains, yeah. I, you know what? For you, I will do this, but I don't like things that aren't horses or on the ground. Well... I'll treat you, Stitch, because this is going to be the ride of our lives. All right, all right, Bet. Hand me my ticket. I'll happily go with you. All right. Well, the Buster is uh, one of the newest innovations in mass transit put into implementation in the Empire. It's about 20 years old, and so, I mean, it's still in pretty good shape. It's provided the city a lot of employment, and uh, the train parts, at least, managed to climb about midway up the towers themselves. It provides a pretty good view of the city, um, if somewhat dizzying at times. Um, these trains will run along broad trestles, which rise above whole neighborhoods. I mean, neighborhoods are built in and amongst the beams of the trestles themselves. And sh like whole houses will shake when the trains go by. But so many people live in this area, you know, they're stacked right on top of each other. 
and you guys go rattling out and you know past the the mid set midpoints of several of the more luxurious towers including the ones that stand out on their own islands in the firth and uh, you can see these through these windows like most of them are curtains some of them are blinded uh but some of them are wide open and you know you manage to catch quite a few interesting tidbits like people having dinner or a couple getting freaky in front of the window it's a good ride out because you mix up the transfers a bit and uh, wind up going back the way you came. You had accidentally headed out to Farshell on the other side of the Firth from North Shore. So you had to get off the train, go on, head back the other way and check it out going the other way. And it, it's actually, you know, takes most of the afternoon by the time you disembark out there. The sun is setting off of the Western Shore, which is the one that you've just disembarked on. Now, where Farshell is all tourist uh, fast food stands, you know, like Rat on a Stick or uh, those uh, those those pancake sandwiches where they which they make with, you know, meat and various vegetables between those you know those griddle cake breads that are so good and they can taste like just about anything and there's all kinds of flavors or or these the uh, boil these potatoes these potato strips boiled in oil and served with gravy or malt vinegar and uh, salt or like any of the or any of these junk food things that you don't really get too much deeper into the city but which are everywhere here um that's over in far shell where you are is uh like cottages and finer restaurants and you know nicer dwellings that sort of thing family homes even looking out over the sea garden the sea garden it should be noted well it is the most picturesque sea in the empire if not the entirety of creation and when the sun and the sun is going as the sun sinks behind the western mountains the uh, water lights up all pink and purple and you know silver and occasionally gold still from the sun and there's a bunch of lights underneath the surface of the water which now hover into view and you know you can see all the lights out on the horizon and ships coming and going out of the firth it's uh it, it's busy but it, it's it's also like a it's like standing next to a major shipping lane in a nice residential neighborhood along a beach because that's where you are well i'll be i didn't even know this existed yeah. You know, it's okay if we were to live here sometime, but I'd be okay with this. Certainly nicer than our neighborhood. You know, like the air smells all salty and fresh and like the sea, right? It's uh, lighter here. So like by now at home, it would be dark. It would be full dark. You know, like you look at your watch, it's, it's eight o'clock at night and you can still see sunlight in the sky. In fact, the streetlights haven't been turned on out here yet. You can just see the lamplighters going down the street, lighting the wicks. Gee, Stitch, I don't know whether to move or to rob the place. We could do both. We could do both. Okay, so you uh, check the newspaper for your destination, and having spent all of your money on buster tickets, you uh, you have to leg it from here. Most of these neighborhoods are blocks of houses with blocks of businesses interspersed. And these businesses are things like, you know, doctor's offices and dental offices and barber surgeons and um, apothecaries and just little, like, everything grocery stores. Know what I mean? It's like a little corner store, but it has a full produce section and a dairy and, uh, like, a deli and butcher counter. And uh, all of the sundries and junk up at the front, right? Like just a little corner grocery store. And there's a few of these, like one every four blocks or so. Um, this place has a certain homogeneity in that everything has the same feel, even though it doesn't look exactly the same. And by the time you wind your way through these streets, you're not really sure you're in the same city you grew up in anymore, Arabeth. It just feels so different. But the place you're looking for is actually up above most of this neighborhood on its own road on the toe of a mountain. 
the wet one of the wet like the northernmost of the western mountains you forget which peak it was because really you didn't pay any attention to it you're not going to fucking climb them so who cares so what do you say we uh, leg it up there stitch and see if we can't sneak in well first of all we don't have much of a choice now because we've run out of money and you know what i need the walk i need to stretch my legs my ass is sore from riding on that train thing just hang on a second are you hungry do pigs fly? No, wait, that's not it. Do pigs oink? That's it. All right, then. Hang out here for a second. Arabit wanders over to a diner and waits until uh, the people that are sitting out on the patio go inside to use the washroom for a second. Okay. And then with a deft move, I walk away with the plates. Okay. Roll slide of hand. 23. All right, no problem. So you head out into the street with a couple of plates of dinner and hand one a Stitch. Um, Stitch, it's um, well, it's oysters, and uh, some of that weird, floppy, wet, soggy bread that humans like to eat. But there's oysters. Oh, it's how lovely! Why, thank you, Mister Bet. Gotta take care of my well, Stitch. <laughs> You're eating noodles and meat sauce with meatballs, Matt. Oh, this is delicious too, Stitch. And uh, you've given Stitch uh, oysters on bow tie noodles. I think this is real meat. Real meat? Not like that soy, whatever, man. <laughs> well, like A-grade meat, not like dog, cat, rat, or, you know assorted denizen of the sewers and alleys of old bailey mina like cockatrice barbecued cockatrice hot cockatrice is huge in that area of town because the fuckers breed everywhere in the sewers and the alleys and the attics and they're a fucking nuisance but they're edible right so don't look at them don't let them bite you roast them up and there's a meal for the family all you got to do is catch them but no, this tastes like something fed, like somebody fed it grass its whole life, pampered the shit out of it, and then very tearfully put it away before butchering it and tenderly preparing it into a, a decent meal after combining it with some spices and herbs that, frankly, you weren't aware existed. One bite of this pasta, uh, Arabet, just like fills your senses up, man. It's a, it's a whole experience. It's everything. The only thing you can't do is hear it. Oh, Stitch, we've got to go on vacation more often. I like vacation. Stitch, these oysters have butter and herbs and garlic, and everything is fucking delicious. And when you when you bite like when you bite into them, they just pop, and it's 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 this beautiful fishy meaty flavor, and the texture is just friggin' perfect. Right? Too bad you can't keep the pasta down. You eat mainly meat after all. But uh, yeah, like it, it's these are good oysters. I can almost, I can almost taste the tears of the man who brought them from the ocean. So salty. Enjoying every bite, we walk further up the mountain. Okay, you finish off your plate and leave it on a on a newspaper box on a corner. Uh, a few blocks later, Arabet and Stitches goes into the garbage about 200 paces after that. But pretty soon you outpace the lights of this part of town and uh, go walking above and go walking up this circuitous switchback road up the side of the mountain to the jeweler's compound. One second. So, Stitch, what do you think? We uh, find a, a way in and take a look around? Well, take a look at the place first. You see if there's any comings and goings. It's getting later into the day, so chances are people are going to be leaving. There might be a skeletal crew. We find our way in. We sneak. We snatch. We leave. We run. Hey, it's a perfect plan. Uh, if nothing else, at least we got a good dinner out of it. Oh, excellent dinner. Oh, so salty. So good. So once you get up to the place, you see that there is a great big fence around it of the uh, wrought iron kind. At the top of this mesh is the 
unmistakable form of a razor vine, which is a sort of plant which is grown in one of those greenhouses up in the bends by those super freaks who do things with plants like make them bloodthirsty and plant them on top of wrought iron fences. A razor vine is the sort of thing, it's a carnivorous plant, right? It uh, also emits a scent that is highly attractive to uh, rodents and seagulls so as to keep them out of everything else. They're a pest control plant, but they also do a fine job of catching thieves when used as razor wire on top of a fence. Um, every one of these fence posts as you come up, like you get about 200 feet from the front of the gate, and uh, all of the signposts, all are, like all the fence posts, all the way around the compound, just light up or bright as day. You can see that the fence is closed all the way through. There's a big gate and a guardhouse right at the front. You're like seriously 200 feet from the gate when everything lights up. So, Stitch, I think they knew we were coming. There's a sign on the gate that says Swan and Company, Jewelers by Royal Appointment. I don't think we're going to be getting in this way. Well, I like your idea about people come going. Why don't we wait until some sort of wagon comes up and see if we can't hike away in? Hi, that. Um, are they looking at? Let's step away a little bit here. Going, we go into some bushes or behind a house or an alley or something where we're not out in the open before continuing continuing i'll just kind of look around and pull up like you pull a map out of your pocket and both hunch together in the middle of the road as though you're consulting the map and then after a few seconds consultation turn around and walk away down the road so that you're not you're not imminently visible so are they keeping this thing here in this compound is it going to be here forever no, it's not going to be here forever because it's got to get to that Duchess of Dyer, whoever that woman was. Well, fuck. Let's let's wait until it gets out of the compound. Be easier to snatch it out of someone's hands than going in. Let them bring it to us. Yeah, that's the plan, Stitch. Good idea. Well, it's a pleasant walk back through on a nice evening, and there's uh, like two and three quarter moons, you know. So almost three full moons, but not quite, you know. Um, there's, that won't happen till the end of summer, but, uh, you know, it, it, this is rare that you have two and a half moons or, you know, two moons even this full at this part of the year. But, you know, astrology, who can figure it out? Hey, Stitch, why don't we find somebody that actually works there and get them talking? Uh, sure. Uh, do you know anybody who works there offhand? Well, my thinking is th you don't go very far to drink when you leave work. You know what I mean? Well, I, I drink at work. Uh, I meant boozing. I meant, you know, there's no booze in the uh, jeweler's office, I bet. But I bet you they all come down the hill to uh, imbibe. Oh, oh, you mean carousing after work. Yeah, the thing you do on a daily basis. No problem. Uh, we look around for, I guess, a nearby tavern or eatery. Well, the streets get a little more crowded now because it's after the dinner hour and the dark has fallen. And so people are out and walking about and enjoying the summer evening. So as you walk down the street, as you walk down the street and, you know, are discussing this between yourselves, there's people who walk by and bump into Arabet and then Arabet puts his hand in his pocket. And same thing with Stitch. They'll actually come walking up to him and see that he's wearing his big cloak and take a wide berth around him. You'll stop at a corner and, you know, just pick somebody's pocket here and there. By the time you get into the nearest pub, which is starting to fill up because the band is tuning up, you've got another 50 in your pocket, both of you. So we're going to stand there just before going in and kind of collect ourselves and see how much coins we have seeing that we have about 50 in our pocket uh, uh that should be enough to basically buy some information uh do you know anybody around here bet in this part of town <laughs> no <laughs> but 50 gold pieces would set you up with an apartment for a month and groceries besides um even out here back at home it's more like 
you could live like honestly, you fifty gold pieces is a year's rent back in old Bailey Mina in your tight neck of the woods. Um, not that you pay rent, but let's uh, see what the uh, bartender has to say about a place to live around here. Oh, maybe there's something above the bar. Yeah. Oh, good idea. You do the talking. You're so smart. So Arabet and Stitch wander up to the bar. How can I help you, sir? Uh, we're uh, looking for a place to stay. Well, it just so happens we've got rooms for rent, but if you're looking for something a little more long-term, I would uh, point you towards our notices board, sir. Can I get you a pint? Yes, a pint would good go down well. And you wouldn't happen to have milk, would you? As a matter of fact, sir, I would. A glass of milk for my friend here. His constitution is delicate. All right, then. I'll have that for you immediately. And, uh, you know, there's a, a big clay cup shaped like a tumbler of uh, thick, creamy cow's milk. Thankfully, Stitch, you brought something to spice this up a little because, honestly, it's a couple days old. Some sort of yeah, Bailey's little problem. shot of whiskey with a, a light, mild hallucinogen that gives you prickles. Oh, this will do nicely. Oh, that'll do nicely. So the band gets going and the beat starts jumping. And uh, before you know it, you're twitching your tail along and along with the beat. Because, man, these kids can play, Stitch. And uh, that's when the barkeep comes up and looks over at your deeply hooded cloak and says, go fuck a chicken in the ass. And then in common, he looks over at Arabet and goes, I didn't know you, uh, I, you must be coming from far away. That is how you say very good evening, sir, isn't it? Go, f and then he switches into tabaxi and says, go fuck a chicken in the ass. Bet I'm going to kill the bartender. <laughs> I, uh, oh, I think you've made a mistake here. Sir. I'm sorry, master. I might've said that wrong. Have a very good evening. Was that better? I think I said it wrong the first couple times. Have a good evening, sir. Of course. Thank you. You're most welcome here, and uh, we're quite honored to have you. We've, uh, we've heard many great tales from people of your nation, sir. And if you'd favor us, we'd, uh, well, we'd love to have you here. Please feel welcome. And uh, go fuck a chicken in the ass. He, like, sets down a pitcher of milk with a big smile and turns around and walks away. I, I bet, bet, bet. I think I need to slow down on whatever it is I've been on, because he either asked me to fuck a chicken in the ass or he said good evening, and I can't tell which. Err on the side of caution, Stitch. I've never fucked a chicken in the ass bit. It's got to be an accent thing. That whole rumbling bit. If it was like the yeah the third time he said have a very good evening it was bassy enough, but the rest of the time honestly he was saying go fuck a chicken in the ass, a little too high up the scale to be like, whatever humans though right, only so many vocal ranges, still I'm amusing slip and uh, who knows you have a sniff of the milk and it it's still this is this stuff is fresher at least and uh, it's been warmed. After sniffing it for a bit, I, I do have the milk. I know it'll give me the shits later, but I just don't care. I like the warm milk going down my gullet and, and kind of feeling and giving that warm fuzziness. Yep, and it's from a big coffee bowl, like a big cereal bowl-sized mug that uh, you can just dip into the pitcher and fill up as you will. And it's it's good. Like, you get your tongue into it and just slides down so smooth, tastes good. And you just kind of do that for a few minutes, right? Wonderful band bet. I'm starting to enjoy it here. I think we should move here. They love us here. True that, Stitch. True that. They love you. I don't know why. Well, it's me. And the band is good. It is, and the people seem pleasant, and it's easy to steal here than any other part in the city because the people here are so fucking dumb. I like it here, Bet. A little while later, the bartender comes back over, red-faced. He goes, I checked my dictionary. I'm so sorry. 
I forgot about the tome. I won't mangle your language again anymore, sir, and I apologize if there's any offense. Oh, no offense at all. I, I, I completely understand you don't have the vocals for it. Please, you know. Uh, so we're looking for rooms for rent, as we said before. Uh, you have something above, maybe a little bit more long-term well, than anything? if you're looking for something right away, let me offer you a room on the house for my transgressions. I'm so sorry. But uh, if you're looking for a longer-term sort of thing, I can, uh, well, like I said, the notices board has rooms to let and whatnot like that. You could look there. With the summer coming to an end as it is, I mean, the Feast of Mobius is next week. The rates should drop, and it, it should get pretty reasonable here as people move back into the city for this for the winter. People leave this place? Well, it does get fairly savage here when the winter blows in, sir. Oh, I see. But all that's occurring to you in the back of your mind is people leave these places empty all winter? It cannot be that bad. So at this point, we're looking around. Does it uh, does it appear that there might be anyone from uh, the place that we are looking into? Anybody that I, I, jewelers don't stand out, but you know, uh, workers in a place like this do, as compared to people who are basically vacationing or slumming. Well, there are like some people who look like fine tradespeople sitting around a, a like a three top with the high stools. Uh, one of them is a gnome, one of them is a human, and the third one is uh, human? Anyway, some kind of beast man? But they all wear, like, professional attire, shirt, sleeves with their shirt, or sorry, shirts with their sleeves rolled up, a waistcoat with a, cha with a chain. Um, the gnome is wearing a derby, and the... Beast man, who you now see when she moves, is just a very thick-shouldered and very, well, thick otherwise, sort of hairy-bearded lady sort of person. And when she looks at you, she kind of resembles a bear, to be honest. Um, but that's neither here nor there. She just looks, like I said, like a, a some kind of half-bear human anyway. But again, dressed like her fellows and the human... Well, he's just a human in a suit with uh, sleeves rolled up and they're drinking pints and most of them are wearing glasses. And You need to roll some perception or investigation, whichever you'd prefer to learn more. One moment. Oh, that's a botch. Yeah. Eight. That milk's getting to you, Stitchy. Arabet, any interest in trying it? Yeah, I'm looking over the table, obviously, because Stitch has shown some interest in it. Uh, I got a 17. All right, Stitch. Stitch tilts his ears back, and uh, his pupils go thin as a piece of paper, and then, like, wide enough to circle his eye, and then thin again, and he shakes his head. Um, for 17, you look over, and you note that none of them have calluses on their hands, but they all have the uh, telltale signs of, like, like burns on their clothes, because, you know, like, there's like little fine burns on their on the cuffs of their pants, and um, a definite pattern of clean, of cleanliness, as of somebody who wears an apron at work. And given the fact that they seem a little dirtier than bakers or cooks or anything like that, you would assume that it's a Smith's apron they wear. So if they're dressed like that, wearing a Smith's apron, no calluses on their hands. There's your jewelers right there. Stitch, roll again. Even worse. Okay, yeah, you can hear the color purple, man. Like you're really tasting this song. Maybe a little heavy on the shroom juice this time. So you dip them, you dip your bowl, like you kind of tip that bowl out and uh, tip a straight bowl of milk in just to dilute it a bit. You'll be all right in a few minutes. But right now, this place smells really loud. You know, and it feels like dancing. So you just kind of sit there and enjoy the groove. And you can see these various patterns uh, as Stitch's whiskers kind of wave along with an unseen beat that he's listening to. This is pretty groovy, actually. Yeah, those dudes seem to be having a really good time. The funniest part is the music yeah. stopped. Yeah, the band's taking five, right? Stitch is just like, 
getting on with it, and all it is is crowd noise in the background. <laughs> nice. Arabet pats Stitch on the, the shoulder and then uh, walks over towards the table with the uh, jewelers with the pitcher of beer that he's got. Okay. They uh, they look over at you and they're like, well, hello. Hey, fellows. My partner over there, he's a little tame tonight. You guys mind uh, if I sit in? Well, no, I suppose not. Please uh, have a seat. We were expect. I brought a picture. We were expecting another person. Um, she'll be along. Oh, I'll, I'll happily give up my chair when she gets here. Well, if you don't mind, I'm. Uh, uh, ah, I'm Rannon. This is Theo, and she's Ursa. You are. Oh, they call me Arthur. Arthur, very nice to meet you. It is my pleasure. Can I beer anyone? Surely, please. So. I'm just, uh, I've been sitting here over at the bar watching the, the, the place in the establishment. It's quite hopping. Oh, this place, yeah, they get some good bands in here. Have you tried the pie? No. They have pie? Of course they have pie. Pie is the best. It is not bad. I like the dirty squirrel better. Oh, the dirty squirrel. This is Ursa, and she's a big, curvaceous gal with surprisingly delicate fingers. Thick black fingernails and a coat of bear like fur all over her body, as well as ursine features and uh, shoulders as thick as Lou Ferrigno's. Well, so what brings you guys uh, this way? Oh, I'm just seeing the town, actually. Oh, this is our local say. You're not from around here, are you? Uh, to be honest, this is my first night in the neighborhood. Well, you look out. When Delilah gets here, she's just going to be all over you. You're a handsome one. Oh, Delilah. Delightful name. Well, wait till you meet her. I'm telling you. She's to die for, babe. So anyway, one second. Um, Arthur, was it? Arthur. Anyway, Theo, you should see these things. They're unreal. They're like, seriously, the size of a, I don't know. Like, they're supposed to be cut down to hurling balls, but we're going to have a lot of leftover material if that's all they want left. I'm just saying, these things are like three or four pounds a piece raw. They just came in today. We're going to start the build tomorrow. Well, I uh, I, I haven't even seen any any plans. I, 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 I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. I don't think it's going to work. Uh, well, right. Uh, yes. Um, sorry. A little shop talk. Yes. So tell me, do you follow the hurling? And the conversation goes into a general murmur. Now, Stitch, the drugs wear off. Oh, man, I'm coming down. And you are coming down oh, pretty God. hard, but thank goodness for mead, huh? I can even out on this stuff. As so many times before, you take a nice sip of sweet mead and uh, just let it flood you for a bit. And that's when the bar starts up, right? And or sorry, that's when the band starts up again. And they play the lay of Il Morne Marina. And that's I it's the first time you heard that was in the north of Tol Amrun. Just uh just outside of Tol Kalinar at a, at a festival. It was the furthest you'd been outside of the troll mark at that point. And you and your Valoria stealing a minute, but that that song, it just opens up and like before you can realize it your dm is forcing you to roll performance because you're lost in a memory ah! i'm calculating here that will be a 24 it's just about then that the band starts up again arabet and about six bars into the song there is this beautiful noise it is harmonic and it is three notes at once and it is um feline and Mongolian throat chanting and opera all at once. And it is a sound of such profound peace and tranquility that it fills the room and everybody stops what they're saying to look over at where Stitch is sitting with his hood back and his ears kind of flat out singing. But unfortunately, 
being a little bit out of it yet, having tapped the voice. It's the first time you've ever heard the voice, Arabet. This is the voice, the voice, the one that all bards share in common. You know its secrets deeply. It's been an old friend of yours. Weapon, shield, teacher, guide, mentor. Your voice is, well, it's what makes you a bard, isn't it? But now the, the room has heard it. And by the time you catch yourself, it's too late. And you can't really not finish the song. That would be mean. You're not really, you're not cold-hearted. You're just feline. So you finish the song, and by the time it's done, there is a thundering of applause. And the bartender comes over and says, Really, sir, I cannot thank you enough. Please, um, I hope you'll accept my offer of a room for as long as you care to do that here. I, I, I do apologize. I'd like to apologize to the band. I didn't mean to take over like that, but I'll take the room. Thank you so much. Well, the band is more of the opinion that, uh, like, they're just sitting there stunned at the end of it. They're applauding along with everybody else. It seems my companions come alive. That was amazing. And that's when Delilah walks into the room, Arabette. As the great Montreal bard once opined, there ain't no cure for love. And so when you look over at the vision that walks through the room, walks through the door and steals your heart completely out of your goddamn chest, you know, um, she looks good. She's dressed to kill. She's, she's about five feet high and just that dress, my goodness, you know, she's just, Wicked gorgeous. She's got that dusky skin of a Maravillan and the long black hair, but her eyes twinkle blue like a Catherine's. You know, she's, uh, when she walks, there is music and poetry and all of the world leans in to see her, right? There's nothing else in the world at this moment but you and her. She is fucking beautiful and walks like a song. Delilah. Yeah, and then she sees you, man. Like, she fucking sees you. And uh, you are nowhere near good enough for this sort of woman, man. And Ren and Theo and Ursa go prattling on. Oh, hey, D, what's going on? But you don't really hear them, right? The band strikes up again, and the uh, the the crowd is like... A, a waitress walks over with a tray of drinks, which she sets on Mr. Stitch's table. Oh, ah, thank you very much. But the, you can... Place that over at that table. Can I have a larger table? Is that possible? My friends and I, uh, the ones over there, need a need a larger table. I think six would do. This uh, this scene ends with uh, you know, Arabette and Delilah sitting across the table, listening to everybody else talk, but not able to take their eyes off each other. While Stitch has a mug in either hand and is up on stage with the crowd up dancing. Right, like the place is alive, and the camera pulls out and fades in. fades back in it's two months later delilah has arranged for a tour of the factory for you well like basically it's uh come to work with her day right now you and delilah have been dating for a while and you've been uh working as a porter and uh occasional deckhand out in the uh, small fishing docks that are on the north end of the Firth. You know, uh, whatever you can do to make things go. Stitch, uh, you're packing them in every night. Every night. Your room and board are free, and uh, you drink for free every night. People come to hear you sing. So what's the plan? You're going to go with this Delilah girl? Bet you, you and I have been friends for a while. More than just friends brothers if my brother was hairless without a fucking tail but still brothers i think you're getting lost buddy i i think i think this what are your intentions boy my brother 
we do the job. If nothing else, the job. You can always come back once the money is in your pocket, right? You don't have to leave forever. And in fact, isn't the idea to retire? So why run away? Why not hide under their noses, right? Why not Why not go away for a month to grieve a dead aunt and then come back and marry Delilah and live a straight life? Like, you never fucking got her, but it's right there in front of you. Like, every all the myths and legends have told you, right there, you and Delilah, it could be. And Stitch, honestly, with this much money, you could bring them here. People love you here. You could send for them. You could bring them here to this new place and live with your your new oath brother and have a whole new family. Could, guys, this could do it, right? This job, this could be it. So right away, what do you figure the job needs, fellas? Well, that just kind of depends. Um, are we going to swipe it while we're in there or are we going to wait for it to come out? So it just depends on what Arabet knows, like what we might know about the compound so far. Okay. Well, Arabet gets his tour as it happens. And uh, as you're walking through, they're finishing up the Duchess's, or sorry, the Baroness's constellation of old dire necklace. And it's on display. Like they've got a few other things to do to it. They're like, it, it's, it's made of gems. You walk by and have a look at it with your practice thief's eye and you can't see any wires. Somehow it's held together with magic and jewels or something because you don't see any precious metals on this at all. It's just like a whole revolving floating constellation of jewels. And some of them are like, when you look at it now from another angle, it's uh there was this one time that um, you were posing as an alchemist's apprentice and trying to get in and steal something to prove that you could to thrash her. And I mean, you had to sit through some really boring lectures and it turned out the job was a bust anyway. But there was well, the one thing you remember from this was that like the rings revolve around the world and the moons rotate around a big point in the center of the world whatever the hell it was called but now that you look at it the same diagram you saw at the alchemy school it's reflected in gems right so gentle listeners for those of you who don't have arabet's limited exposure to education this is a diamond ruby sapphire and emerald encrusted working version of the Runelands Cosmos, which fits around a giantess's neck. Um, looking at this Arabet, there are more gems here than you knew there were. All I see is stallions and galleons. And all kinds of money, even after the fence steps on this. Like, if you got a 20% cut of what this is worth, you could live here comfortably for the rest of your life. This is big money. This could feed the city for a year. Eric goes into casing mode. Well, you, you, you do kind of like, you're watching the security on the way in, but when you stop and look at this thing, Delilah comes up and snuggles right up to you and she goes, it's beautiful, isn't it? It is stunning, that's for sure. Hey, well, neither of us would be able to afford anything like that, right? Ah. Uh. <laughs> Still, how, how often do you get to see something like this, huh? Not very often. If ever. Come on. Come on. You're going to make the Warforged nervous. The Warforged? Yep. And she points over and uh, this thing you thought was some sort of jewelry press is actually watching you and holding a gun. Oh, I see. Like it hasn't moved. You just, now you thought what were like these machines, because there are a lot of machines in this room. Make no mistake. There are smelting machines and, you know, hammering machines and welding machines and all kinds of machines in this room. And they're all powered by steam and this and that. And this thing doesn't look much different. It is a big chunk of steel. But now that you look at it, it is, it's actually man-shaped and it, it's holding a great big gun and uh, standing there watching the necklace over your shoulder quietly, not moving. It doesn't breathe. It doesn't need to fidget. It just stands there and watches. 
Your smile's more beautiful anyway. And she giggles and you go walking along. Now, the scene, the scene shifts to uh, your shitty little apartment, which is a one-bedroom bachelor where your couch has been replaced by kind of a great big circular ottoman sort of thing with the legs sawed off, and that's where Stitch sleeps. It's not the sort of place you could entertain anybody, but that's okay because you don't spend a lot of nights here, if you know what I mean, Arabette. Stitchy. It's guarded by Warforged. I? Warforged. War Big what? fucking machines. See? Told you. Fucking hate machines. All over the walls of this apartment, there are various diagrams and threads and pictures and, you know, um, you know, clippings and stuff being let off here. And uh, it looks like Bet hasn't slept in two days, but it also looks like the plan has taken effect. He seems to have it all blocked out. And it's going to consist of, from what you understand, after quite a bit of back and forth between the pair of you, it looks like he wants to do uh, Daisy Hansen, followed by a beekeeper and a fish in the water. But, as he explains, it is in fact a skunk in the room with a honey bear and a roof rat egress. Basically, there's no way you're going to get in and out of there. There's too many watching eyes. There are too many magical defenses, right? The only time anybody could get anywhere near the thing is when it's outside. Unfortunately... Swan and Company tends to ship their more expensive pieces, certainly like this, in a secure Buster Sky Car, which they add to the line on the morning. It goes all the way around the Firth to the Skyport over Farshell, and then it's loaded on like a proprietary ship by guards and flown to its destination where it is hand-delivered by the best security that Swan and Company can afford. And they can afford a lot. Remember, they bought those gems to build that thing with. What must it cost? This will be easy-peasy. All we have to do is get into the car before they put the stones in there. Get into the car before they put the stones in. Uh, that's a great idea. I love it. How do we get into the car before the stones get well, in it, though? All we have to do now is go where they make the cars. No, 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 no. You want no. me to make a car? We go to the production center. We get in the cars where, you know, when they clean them up and everything else, whatever they do with them to get them ready. And we install ourselves in the car that's going to be used before the security hits it. Oh, okay. Yeah, I get it now. Brilliant idea. It'll work. 100%. It is actually the least secure part of the facility because it connects to the buster, right? Like, if you could get on the buster, you could, if, you could get the bu if you could get a car on the buster to go on that line, which honestly would be pretty complicated and really expensive, and you can't front that right now, um, you could conceivably get in here, but they'd see you coming, right? Uh, this is definitely the better way. So... The scene goes from, like, basically, as Arabit explains it, the uh, camera shifts away to a reenactment. And uh, the reenactment has an open buster car that's just been cleaned and locked up. And Arabit finesses the lock, no problem. Doors open. Uh, Stitch and he go in to the benches at either side, uh, busily get to work prying the benches off and clearing out all the padding underneath it. Not all the padding, just the, the stuff that goes all the way to the floor. Because uh, it's just like padded empty space. It's more for insulation and sound than anything else. And uh, then they crawl in and make the things look as usual as possible. The next morning, the crew comes in, checks the lock on the car, gets it loaded onto the buster line, and then the door is opened with a proprietary key. Two guards get into the car with a chest. They set the chest down and take a seat. A few minutes later, they both nod off, whereupon they tumble forward onto the floor because Stitch and Arabet push the bunches up from underneath them. Wearing their breathing masks, they get out. Arabet finesses the chest. Uh, they put the jewels in a pouch with Stitch. Everybody gets back into their positions. The guys are put back in place. They have a nice nap on their trip out to the dedicated dock. 
And when the car is returned, Arabette and Stitch slink away, right? At least that's how it's supposed to go. So what went wrong? I mean, you were great as far as great as far as getting into the car went. That went off without a hitch. What happened in the meantime? The war forged. War forged? What? Oh, right. Yes, exactly. The juggernaut who uh, the juggernaut sorcerer who could transform himself into an impenetrable, unpickable chest who took issue with you trying to steal that which was in his chest cavity. Yeah, that was pretty bad because everything went off without a hitch and those guards hit the floor, no problem. And then you got out and there was no lock on the chest. Worse, as soon as you touched it, it sprouted arms and took a snatch at you. And then it grew legs and then everything narrowed into the body. And soon there was no room for you and Stitch and that thing in the car. Um, oh, we weren't in the car as soon as it grew legs. Out the door? Out the door and on top. Out the door and on top. Well, and then it punched two holes through and ripped a door through. And as it lifted itself up to the waist, something caught it because it would have had you. Um, man, that was ballsy the way you both threw a rope over the cable itself and slid down to the next car. Surely you could just jump off somewhere uh, before this thing could get you, right? Nope. It leaped up into the air grabbed the car and grabbed the cable with its bare hands because it's made of metal and started sliding towards you. Thus began the chase, you sliding from car to car while it jumped or slid or bounded after you until finally the path of the car that you were on uh, went by a buster train track. And by some miracle of fate, your opponent's trajectory put its feet through into a crowded car of train of, uh, commuters so it had to extricate itself from that delicately before it could get back out on top and jump after you by then you were both on the train and when it jumped off again it went through into a crowded commuter train there's that scene that shot from the side where the train chugs along its high trestle and uh, goes under a bridge which you both have to duck to avoid and then when you stand up on the other side the train has cleared a high ridge on a mountain's toe and covers a little inlet onto the fjord which uh, is several hundred feet below on a tall wooden trestle the camera pans away as it see as it shows the two of you running up the train from within the camera switches and there's crowded commuters on this train but uh, the warforged isn't giving up it finds its feet and starts charging for the end of the car when it hits the door it drops its shoulder and blasts between the two cars all of the car people within are panicking but getting the fuck out of this thing's way and uh, based on its progression as we switch back outside uh, another bridge is coming and you both have to duck this thing crashes out and uh, you see it you know go bombing on ahead of you into the train and then it climbs up onto the then it stops turns around and climbs up onto the top of the train with you whereupon you both drop between the cars and run ahead of it. And there's this kind of a comical bit where it chases you and does the loop-de-loop. But by the time it, you get, it gets back to where it started, which is where you are, the pair of you have already pulled the pin, which holds the cars together. That'll stop it. And as the pin skips along the tracks, the chain breaks and it goes tink, 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 bounce. And as it bounces up into the air, the Warforged catches it in its hand. And with its final possible attack, as you're chugging along another tall, like you're hanging, you're hanging on to the back balcony of this car, chugging along, along, chugging along atop another tall trestle, it lets go. And Arabet, it nails you. So you don't even see it coming. You weren't expecting that. You'd made the getaway, hadn't you? Right? This thing climbs off the off the car which is rolling to a stop and hits out its maximum speed but it's no match for the speedy buster especially now that more than half the cars have been removed from its engine's load the thing surges forward and a lurch of speed and that's what keeps you from catching your grasp you go off and land hard on your shoulder on the side of the trestle 
you whack your face off the tracks as the other car comes rolling inevitably towards you and uh, you reach out to catch it, but that the impact on your shoulder is dislocated. It, like your hand has no strength. So even though you do grasp the side of the piling that holds on, that, that keeps the trestle solid, you can't hold it. You have no strength in that hand. There's a sickening pop in your shoulders and wrenches again through the joint. And uh, there's this ungodly shriek stitch. You reach out to catch him, but he's already fall is already faded off um you see him catch on and for a brief second his fingers hold on and you have some hope but then you see that warforged running out ahead of the train you look at arabet and you go to jump off the back of the train and he loses his grip and falls and it's a long plummet bet you manage to turn yourself somehow in the air to see where you're falling but you tumble end over end over end over end and when you hit the water it is hard on your dislocated shoulder and uh, on the right side of your face. You plummet like 30 feet through this water. It's a miracle that you're not killed by the impact. And uh, really unfortunate that it happens to be the trestle over Coral Gardens because... I'm sorry about your looks, my friend. But you land face first in sharp coral. And that's where all that scar came from. You don't remember anything. Clawing yourself to the surface, maybe. That was just blind instinctive survival. Whatever, Stitch, it was hours later by the time he could make your way back and he crawled his way up onto the coral beach. He'd shredded his coat and he was fucking bleeding out of a hundred little wounds. There were like, had he not pulled himself up, there were sharks from the sea garden teeming about in that little inlet. He'd managed to get himself out of the water. And by the time you find him, he's alive, but God, his face is ruined. You haven't mastered that healing magic yet and honestly, Draz was never this this severe, but you do what you can. You manage to close his face up and keep him alive. The debt is repaid, but that job is fucking done and you're going nowhere. There's one night about four days after Bet's fall where he finally wakes up. He's been asleep for four days and he finally cracks the one eye that he can open because his, like, his, the right side of his face is an absolute mess. His right shoulder is splinted off. Um, you had to stash yourselves in an abandoned greenhouse atop a customs warehouse, like right close to the harbor, because it was the closest place that you could go that you found where nobody would look for you. It's been a couple of days. There's still some plants in here. You've spent the time tending them back to health and looking after Arabet and then adding to the collection of plants because you're going to need medicine, right? Still, the debt is discharged. He saved your life. You saved his. You're square. But those dreams you had yesterday, or rather, last week, well, they're just dreams, aren't they? Dreams are free. Now, rest, buddy. Rest, my brother. You'll be better soon. We'll be up and running just like, just like old times, right? You'll be good. I'll never be able to see Delilah again. It's just another woman, Bat. Just, just another woman. Just, you lie still. I'll take care of you. Just remember one thing my mom always told me back when I was with the Pride. Some people wear their scars on the inside. Oh, you're the lucky one. You're going to wear it on the outside, Bat. People are going to remember your face when we're, when we're big again. Don't you worry. And with that, beneath the burning light of a single gas lamp in this mostly empty greenhouse, we see Arabet roll over to the side and a tear leaks out of his good left eye. And She wasn't just a woman, was she, Bet? He looks out the window of the greenhouse as it starts to rain. And so, my friends, we've reached the end of this, our little story. Arabet was Stockavet, and Mr. Stitch was Corey. So can is the agency that licenses our tunes. If you look for us on Twitter, well, we're at Cast the Rune. I'm your DM RuneWise, but Adam is my name. You'll find full notes and track listings at RuneWise.game. Okay, enough rhyming. Thanks a lot, folks. Hope you enjoyed this. We'll be back with Season 2 right away, but until then, take good care. Until next. It's a cold bite. Last
Yeah. 